Yes, people. It is that time. You know the deal. Echo chamber coming at you, right? And as we do, we're going to start things off with the UK box office top 10 for the weekend of the 14th to the 16th of July. At number 10, people, it is Rob Marshall's live action, The Little Mermaid. He co-wrote it with David McGee and John DeLuca. Not Hale Bailey, Jonah Hugger King, Melissa McCarthy, Javier Bardem. At number nine, it is Joyride. Having to use a different um, thingy listing because, yeah, it's all gone a bit pairs up. So there's no other information for any of the other titles. I'm afraid. So at number nine, it is No Hard Feelings. Right? Mm, no. No. At number eight. It's no hard feelings. I can't count. At number seven, we have Transformers Rise of the Beasts. Number six, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. So that means, people, we're in the top five. And at number five is Pixar's Elemental. At number four, it's Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. So, in the top three, we have Insidious, The Red Door. At number two, it is Sound of Freedom. And people seem to be loving this one, right? So, that means, and it's probably not a surprise, people, at number one, it is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. And it would seem, yet again, Tommy Boy Cruise has reinvigorated the cinema. So, yes, there you go. We have got five films this week, people. So, let's get it popping, shall we? Right, 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 people, we're going to start off with the first of our Netflix joint. We have two this week, and this one is Barca... Hmm, no, it is Bird Box Barcelona. Yo, so, people, we have got this new film, which... They're saying it's not a sequel, right? It's a film set in the universe of, right? I'm talking about Bird Box Barcelona, right? This one is written and directed by David and Alex Pastor. Okay, so the film is then produced by Chris Morgan, Nura Balas, uh, Adrian Guerrero, 
and Dylan Clark. It's executive produced by Suzanne Baer, the original film's director. Layla Cole. Um, Ainsley Davis. Ryan Lewis. Josh Mallerman. Right, who wrote the original book, which came out in 2014, and Brian Williams. The music is by Zetia Montes. Daniel Ariano is on cinematography. Marty Roca edits the piece. Anna Gonzalez handled the casting. Leila Collette production design art direction is from Per Carreras and Aurelio God Godolio uh, set decoration is Nura Gardiaia costume design is Alberto Valsarasal hair and makeup we have Laura Garcia Maria Magu Gat, Patricia Reyes, Marta Ruiz Sanchez, and Lucia Salano. Our cast. Um, we have got Sebastian, played by Mario Casas. His daughter, Anna, played by Alejandro Howard. Um... We then have got Claire, played by Georgina Campbell. Um, Sophia, played by Nalia Schuberth. Right. Um, there's... Liliana, played by Michelle Jenner. Um, Roberto, played by Gonzalo Di Castro. Isabel, played by Lola Dunaz. Laura, played by Celia Fregerio. Rafa, played by Patrick Crido. Um, we've got Marcel, played by Jorge Azin. Father Esteban, played by Leonardo Sabagalilia. Um, hmm, who else do we have? Ah, Octavio, played by Diego Calva. Um, Rinko, played by Kotami Nishawashi. Right, Ilana, played by Ina Cornanes. Um, Greta, played by Carolina Mejou. They're probably our main lot. There's, there's so many people in this one compared to the first. All right now, the gist of the story is this. After a mysterious force decimates the world's population by causing all who see it to take their lives, Sebastian and his young daughter Anna must navigate their own journey of survival through the desolate streets of Barcelona. But as they form an uneasy alliance with other survivors and make their way towards a safe haven, a 
threat more sinister than the unseen creatures grows. So, yeah. Now, the original Bird Box came out in 2018, right? And I'm just like, yo, was it that long ago? Seems kind of crazy, right? But then you remember, oh, yeah, is it was like one of the first Netflix films to actually do something, right? There's a lot of the other ones felt like straight to video, you know what I mean? They were some were fine, but I think this was the first one that was like, oh, this could be in the cinema. This was. Good, really good. You know, up for awards and all of that, Chaz. There may have been a few before that I might be forgetting, but it's something like that, right? But the original bird box, that we knew nothing, right? We knew nothing going into that one. This film, we we have more answers. Right, we're in a world, and people seem to know a bit more. Right, people seem to know a bit more. It's still chaotic, it's still crazy, but we're also seeing a lot more people than in the first, you know. So it is it's interesting, but it feels like it's a different kind of genre to the original, a bit like alien and aliens. You know, it feels that stark of a difference. And they're doing different things in this one, right? Like, I think an overarching theme is grief and religion, you know, which it's interesting to an extent, but it doesn't really get explored. Also, with the grief angle, I feel most people have experienced a level of grief in their life, right? And with that grief, you do understand what happened. Now, because I think a big thing depends on how new the grief is, right? I think that would be a big thing in what we're seeing, but that's never mentioned, is, you know, if someone has just passed, they're definitely closer in your mind, right, and trying to deal with that loss, and believing the loss is still there, right, that it actually happened, if you're like, no, 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 it must be a bad dream, right, but when it's been a few years, even a year, you, you, you've come to terms with things in a way, which I think is an important distinction, but that's not explored, not explored at all. And you feel it should be because there is something that does get mentioned towards the end. And you're like, yeah, but, <laughs> you know, what I mean? everyone, right? So, yeah, there's these things and these leaps of faith, you know, in, in, in all manner of regards that we need for this film, right? There's some interesting bits, like, 
you know, the, the whole Sebastian Anna bond, right? We see them celebrating at the beginning. Now, they get jumped, right? By some blind people, which you're just like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know what I mean? How fucking, like, ain't been funny, but I ain't gonna be able to sneak up on people. You know what I'm saying? It's just like you get jumped by a blind person. You are slipping like a motherfucker, right? You are slipping, son. <laughs> oh, shit. If you can't avoid a blind person, you, you might as well give up. Right? You do. That's like the Darwin Awards. You don't deserve to be around, motherfucker. Right? That's the fact, son. You know what I mean? Come on now. Right? So we see this. And I think that says a lot. That made me have serious pause to what the fuck we will be seeing with this film. Because I'm just like, nah, nah, that's not happening. That's not happening. What are we doing? Right? And I think then there's that. That's a big leap of faith, right? You you have to suspend all reality for that. And then that's what, that you know, that sets it up for what we then have. Because there's a lot of things going down that you're just like, are you telling me no one else is a light sleeper? Right? Is that what you're telling me? That no one, no one else is a light sleeper. No one else is going to hear someone. What? Like, what? And there is too many slips in, like, the conversation with, you know, this thing. And you're just like, wait, so no one is, no one is picking up on all of these little, you know, no one's hearing this person talk, right? That's a big thing. No one's hearing. Like, well, we go through a point of no one's hearing, then suddenly, and you're just like, wait, so what happened earlier? Why? What? Huh? Where are we going? What are we doing? You know? So there's all of this where you're just like, it makes no sense. Then you have this thing, right? And we see it a lot in films where, uh, you know, people have a certain perspective and then they change. But the change is just like, what, what was it? Because literally a second ago, they were there. And now we're meant to believe they've done a 180? Is, is that what we're believing now? Right? And, and you're just like, no, you need to have something substantial happen for people to believe someone will change, right? That someone will change, you know? It's like at the beginning of the pandemic where people are just like, no, I'm going to stay in, blah, blah, blah. And then it's just like, wait, hold on. You're saying that 
my business can't open, but the big conglomerate can open? Go fuck you. And that made people change, right? Because it was something big, something where you're just like, wait, I see hypocrisy here. But in this film, there isn't that that pivot, that that you know, that fulcrum to make anyone change. And that was like, hmm. Now we look, there there are these weird things going on with the scripts, uh, uh, you know, with this supposed religious angle they're forcing in. We do get some interesting stuff put in, which then kind of opens this up to more spin-offs, right? To more stories set in this universe. You know, hopefully any new entry isn't as, because, you know, they remember Sandra Bullock in the first one, Red Cloak. Blue head. They've got the Claire character dressed up exactly like Bullock, right? The only difference is she, you know what I mean? Claire's black, Bullock's white, right? Otherwise, you've got these people looking exactly the same, you know, which is a bit like, all right, you're trying to connect people to that first one, but this is different. Right, you can do different things. You can have different processes and thoughts and all of this, which is fine because we're going in a different angle with the film in general, you know. But it, it, it's just because it's just under two hours, right? And you just think ah, there's things that needed to be fleshed out a little bit more to make sense, right, like, there's a group of people, and we've got, um, gosh, Roberto, who seems to hate Rafa, or is it Octavio, one of the two, um, it might be Octavio he hates, but we're just like, why, you know, like, Octavio's Mexican, but is that the only fit? Like, you know what I mean? We get these things put out there, but with no, like, weight behind them. So it's just floating in the wind. Floating in the wind, you know? So, yeah, which is a shame, because there is a lot more potential here. Right? Now... It's okay. The performances are good. We have some good performances from the cast, you know? I think they sell the fear. They sell the anxiety, all of that jazz. It's just, you know, the story itself can be a little bit like the clothes are too clean. Because, you know, there's no washing machines now. Right, we don't see anyone, they're living in their clothes, you know, no one's washing, so it's just a bit like, yo, there's gonna be a funk, right? People are gonna be grimier, you know what I mean? It, 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 it's just a lot of things 
which aren't making any sense. There's also a lot of stuff is just you un, you you know it's happening, right? There's a whole a part of the Sebastian story because that gets drip fed to us throughout, so we understand what's happened, where it's going, all of this kind of thing, right? And that happens like eight months onwards, you know, before the events we're seeing in the film. So we're jumping back a lot and being like, oh, right, 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 right. And there's this bum thing and you're just like, okay, well, obviously, you know, that's going to happen. And yeah, it does. But they do it in the way of, oh, not now, oh, but now. Right, and you're just like, ugh, we've seen that too many times. You, you could have come up with a better way of doing that. But yeah, it's it's interesting. It's definitely interesting. But there are so many holes that I think it loses the impact it could have had if this, if only the script could have been tighter. Only the script could have been tighter. Then, yeah, then this, I think, would be on that same level as the original Bird Box. It's still okay. Still decent. But, yeah, just mm, a bit holy. A bit holy. And that's not the kind of protection you want in a world where you can't be looking at the monster people. No holes. No motherfucking holes. But Bird Box Barcelona is out. It's on Netflix. And uh, yeah, I do suspect we will get more. So hitting cinemas on the 21st, people, we have got The Secret Kingdom. Okay, people, so we have a new film coming to cinemas. It is The Secret Kingdom. Now, there are a few films with this title. So it's the 2023 version, if you are perusing on Google, people. It is written and directed by Matt Drummond. The film is produced by... Um, Matt and uh, probably his wife, Megan Drummond. Right, Joseph Morris edits the piece. Casting was by Marianne Jade and Graham Mitchell also uh, helped out with production. Our cast, we have got the Dramas. Right, the mother is Vivian, the father is David, then we have Peter and his sister Verity. Um, oh, yes, <laughs> okay. So, the dad, David, drama is played by Christopher Garbardi, Vivian is played by Alice Parkinson. Peter is played by Sam Everingham. And Verity is played by Aaliyah Brown. Yeah, I forgot that. There's Pling, who is voiced by Darius Williams. 
The Shroud, who's voiced by Gabrielle Chan. Ego, voiced by Beth Champion. And Ergo, voiced by Roland Holmes. Okay, so the gist of the film is Peter and his family still reeling from a traffic event, uproot and settle in a small remote town. Upon their arrival, Peter's sister Verity um, beckons him to explore the village, where they discover an old shop, some peculiar locals and a mysterious artifact. That night, Peter is awakened by an unsettling sound. The floor of his room starts to crack, and he and Verity go plunging down into the secret kingdom below, where they are captured by a horde of Panogolins and whisked off to an audience with their leader, Elwyn. When Elwyn discovers that Peter has the artifact in his possession, he declares Peter to be the foretold ruler of the below. Peter and Verity are instructed that they must find the four remaining artifacts and use them to fix the great clock of the Citadel and reset, reset time in order to stop the ancient evil that has enveloped the kingdom. But as Peter and Verity travel further into the below with their Pangolin guide playing, Peter discovers that not everything is as it seems. Dom, dom, dom. So, uh, yeah, there you go, people. There you go. Now, this is a kid's film. You know what I mean? It is... Um, what is it? It's it's rated PG. So, you know, I will say off the bat, your kids will probably enjoy it, right? If your kids enjoyed stuff like, uh, let's think, Inkheart, right? The School of Good and Evil, um, like uh, Dark Crystal, you know what I mean? That kind of fair. Right, if that's their jam, Lion Witch in a Wardrobe, you know, especially the BBC series, right? If they've enjoyed those, um, what's that one with Lara, Philip Pullman, uh, the Golden Compass, Golden, Golden Compass, and Subtle Knife, they bring a bell, right? If if that's something that your kids enjoy then i think this will work for them right that whole magical worlds the mystery just all all of that kind of jam I, yeah i think you can take your kids it's not offensive it's not too dark you know like labyrinth is awesome a little bit dark in places, <laughs> but awesome though. Um, so yeah, I, I I think if your kids enjoyed that kind of thing, then the Secret Kingdom will most likely work for them. Adults, you're gonna have to bear with it. I'm afraid it might not work for you. 
so we open up with basically the legend, the lore. Right, we we have this kind of sketch, moving sketch, and it's explaining a narrator, a voiceover, is telling us about these two worlds, the world above and the world below, and you know how it was ruled, and then something happened, and blah 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 blah. So we get all of that history, which is like, and you know, not a bad way of filling in those gaps. I will say they use gold text, right? Gold text on a yellow background. Not smart, right? It doesn't make it real clear. It's not that visible. It's just, I roll my eyes sometimes with these things. I'm just like, really? You're telling me someone looked at this and was just like, yeah. This works. This is a good idea. It's insane. It's insane. But we get this, and then we're in a car, and the family are traveling to this new house. You know, I think it's like the dad was saying it was his granddad's or something like that. You know, it's a family home. They are moving to, renovating, and all of that jazz. Right, and so we just see Peter and his sister exploring, and then we get into this whole thing. It's like it, it follows the beats of this kind of story, right? It, it, it follows them, and it's trying to, you know, I think it, it's trying to do a thing, but I think. A lot of those classic stories, you know, Lion, Witch, the Wardrobe, uh, Lord of the Rings, just all of these things work because you have a connection to the characters, right? Because you believe in these characters, right? You believe that um, Peter Edwin, I forget the girls' names, gosh, Lucy... I can't remember the other one, but we we believe in them, right? The, when they go to this world, we understand their different personalities and traits and all of that, which is when, you know, Edwin sides, you'll be like, ah, oh, man, I knew that little motherfucker couldn't be trusted, right? This, we don't get that, right? We, we don't get that same connection to anyone. You know, it's like we, we see that Peter, there's something troubling Peter throughout. Some, some cracks, he's scared of cracks, and but we have no clue why. It's never addressed. The only thing addressed, they're using this whole mechanism of, oh, if I can get there in three seconds, everything will be fine. Never gets there in three seconds. Who knows why three seconds is the, the time limit? It's never answered. Like, there's only one reference to mum's like, oh, did you make it? Did you make it in three seconds? That's it. And I'm just like, look, it doesn't have to be this big explanation, but something, right, to let people relate. You know what I mean? 
like because it could just be like a little explanation and then little kids would be like oh i'm scared of the monster under the bed too oh that worries me and you just create that connective tissue right because we just don't have it we don't have it right it's most of this film is clearly green screen which you know look it's a fantasy film we're not believing that you know that all of these things are actually real and on set but it's just glaring that it is green screen so you're just seeing these performances that sometimes i mean a lot of the time are difficult and i will say listen acting to nothing right that's a difficult thing trying to pretend that oh i'm scared of a monster and the monster's not there you know it's a difficult thing a lot of times they'll have someone in a green costume pretending to be right sometimes they don't I don't know how these this production chose to do it, but it's just uh, like trying to get those emotions. We don't often doesn't often hit the mark for an adult. Now, for a little kid, it's probably fine, right? They're not looking at it in the same way, but an adult mm, doesn't really work. Doesn't really work. And listen, yeah, adults struggle at it. So kids, you know what I mean? Trying to get kids not to overact. And like, there's a lot of whining <laughs> from some of the characters. Like, I told you I wasn't. Oh, no. Right. And it just, it does feel very over the top. Doesn't often work. Right, there's things that are said that you're just like, that makes no sense. Right, there's this big reveal at the end, which again doesn't really make any sense because of the interactions that happen. So it is a bit odd. It is a bit odd. It's definitely pulling on all these old classic tales. We have Peter struggling with this thing, but then all of a sudden, He's able to do it, which again, oftentimes, right, it's the journey, but we don't see that journey, right? There's never, oh, that's how he can conquer the, no, we don't see it. So it's just like, what, what is happening here? But again, a little kid isn't always look, I mean, always, they're never looking at that stuff, right? It's just the magic. That's what they're enjoying. So they're not looking at the nuance of. So that's why I think it will probably work for a little kid. For an adult, mm, no, it's not going to work. So you're going to have to grin and bear it while your kid watches. Or do the smart thing and blackmail a relative or pay a babysitter to take them and watch it. And you can sit in a cafe and read, listen to a podcast, listen to some music, just enjoy life, people. That's what you should do. But yeah, let the little, you know what I mean, munchkins go watch the film because they'll probably dig it, right? The secret 
Kingdom is out on the 21st of July in all your local cinemas. So, people, there you go. Something to distract the kids with. Right, right. So now we have an indie that will be dropping on Monday the 24th, right? It is, people, dying to sleep. Okay, people, so we have a new Entertainment Squad joint for you this week, and it is Dying to Sleep, right, which is directed by Paris Dillon. He wrote the film with Patchmore and Muneb Raymond. The film is produced by... Dylan and Mike Hermosa, executive produced by Sarah Lydia Sophia and associate produced by Kyle Stefanski. Jesse Bilson handled the music, Manib Rahman, cinematography, Mike Hermosa and Matthew Coleshill edited the piece, Catherine Mubasa did the casting, James Flock, production design, art direction is Alison Kelsey-Joseph, uh, Daniela Delgado was on uh, hair and makeup, and our cast, right, well, Mary is played by Sarah Lydia Sophia, her brother Joe is played by Paris Dillon, her um, dad, Martin Swanson, is played by Ray Abrasonen. Her mum, Helen, is played by Maria Pinsent. Uh, her best friend, Jen, is played by Victoria Baldassara. Right? Um, Joe's best friend, Tommy, is played by Jatan Gilbert. We've got her therapist, Rachel, played by Deputy Kinga Mickelson. Um, there is do, 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 her doctor, Dr. Ted Palmer, played by Eric Roberts. Um, her manager at the comedy, comedy coffee, ooh, coffee shop. Nick, played by Dave Sheridan. Um, then there's the holistic doctor, Francis Timothy Cyrus. Um, no, that's his son, actually, Francis Timothy Cyrus, played by Alex Kiever. And Dr. Frank Cyrus is played by Dar Dixon. And Patchmore is a farmer. So, uh, yeah, that's the cast. And the gist of the film is this. Terrifying nightmares, a broken family, and a mysterious holistic doctor haunt Mary as she searches for the strength to find forgiveness amongst dark betrayals. So there we go. Now, 
I thought this film, you know, started uh, interestingly, right? Because you've got Mary. It is dark. She's outside. And it looks like, oh, man, she might be injured. She's struggling to get into a house. The door opens. It's a surprise birthday party. And she's just pulling a bag full of her laundry, right? But I, it, it did throw you. Right, you're thinking, oh fuck, what's gonna happen here? What are we doing? What's going on? Right? It's her birthday, right? So she's having a part. Well, I think it's the day before the birthday, right? I don't quite get what's going on. Because like you have all of this, and they're like, Oh yeah, it's a birthday, happy birthday. Just but then the next day. His conversations like, oh, let's go out tonight. No, it's Mary's birthday. Wait, it's Mary's birthday? I didn't know it's Mary. I'm like, wait, what? How are you? You know what I mean? Like, I'm just like, yo, how how the fuck are you not knowing? Right? There's some, yeah. There's like, you don't really understand a lot of the relationships in this film. I think that's a big thing. You know, because... Yeah, that, that's a thing, right? Tom, because it's the best friend, her brother's Joe's best friend, um, Tommy. He's the one that's like, oh, I didn't know it was her birthday. Her actual birthday. And you're just like, okay. How, because it seems like she knows Tommy, but then on the, the you know, night of the party, the way they leave, it feels like something might be, up right and i mean there is that with some of the characters where you're just like yo what's the relationship here like are these people really friends what's the deal you know which is very odd it is a bit odd like it we we open up and there's this kind of this thing happens, this, this car accident, kind of, right? I mean, yeah, it is a little baffling how what happens happens, right? I'm, I did, I was scratching my head and be like, yo, how should we do that? You know what I mean? But it, you know, it happens, right? But then everything that spins out of that, I'm scratching my head a bit on, right? It's, it's not always clear. Like, there is a jump in time, which I didn't feel was very clear at all. And they're referencing, because they're referencing the accident. But the way they're talking about it, you're assuming something else must have happened. Something crazier must have happened. But it, it's, it, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, mean, I, mean, yeah, you're, I don't know, man. I felt a little bit thrown. I felt a little bit thrown. I think there's certain things that are getting referenced that happened off camera. But we're not quite sure when. Like, there's a little bit of a beef between her and the mum. Right? And you're just like, wait, when was this said? Like, what's happening here? 
you know because I think knowing that plays into and helps I think build like that empathy for the feelings there you know because you you see the mum doing stuff and you're just like okay so like why is there still the beef man you know and it's so it gets super I felt it wasn't clear right there's conversations that happen that again can make it feel like how good of friends are these people right what, what's what's happening you know what are we doing here it, it it's just a bit odd and I know like we're doing things that you're just like, no one's doing that. Like, no one's getting out of their car on their own in the middle of the night. Or walking to a spot in the middle of the night to see, check something out. Or going some Like, you're just like, yo, this isn't the actions of a, a normal person. Like, what are, we, what are we doing here? You're getting... As you say, there's these nightmares, there's these fears and all of this. But we have the internet now. I mean, this is a big thing, right? With a lot of films, the, the, it, the way people act is like we don't have a way to look up information, right? And finding truths. Because you're going on, oh, I did this thing, but there's no evidence. There's absolutely no evidence. So it, it makes no sense that there is this, oh, I did this thing, right? There's just no sense of it all, right? The way the doctors are acting is just weird, you know? And then you think, if you're looking for a new doctor, surely you do research, right? Surely you do some research. You you're not just taking what someone random is saying for for gospel. You know what I mean? And then there's just the question of does the ending makes no sense? Because you're like, well, everything was discovered from a sign. So why would the sign be there? You know, it, there's some interesting ideas here. I just thought the execution was a little bit all over the place. Like, you had to suspend your, you know what I mean, imagination, right? Because you're just like, yo, there's a mad potholes, mad potholes here, right? Now... I do understand, you know what I mean? Listen, people put their heart and soul into these things and there's mad respect to that. You know what I mean? Because like, I ain't made a film. So, you know what I mean? When you're like looking at these things and you're going, mm, I don't know if that works. It's just like, all right, well, at least they did a thing. Like, could I have done it? You know what I mean? So it's not, trying to disrespect 
the hard work that goes in because regardless of what you feel still a lot of hard work has gone into it but yeah it, it, it's just one of them things where it's just like doesn't quite work for me doesn't quite work for me but um uh it's trying to think of what this uh, like the comparison i would throw up with this one um i mean you've got like the raven right that that came out earlier was that earlier in the year or like towards the end of last year man my memory can suck jeez um hmm i don't know let's just say the raven though right like there were things that happened in that film that were just like all right that's interesting but it doesn't always make sense it doesn't quite add up all the time um there's like other things Ooh. like from black you know that shot of a shudder uh film um again like there was some interesting ideas but it didn't quite I feel hold up all the way through so yeah I would say if those are things you enjoyed you know if those were your jam right then maybe dying to sleep right maybe that will work for you as well you know it will be out on the 24th that's monday people so uh, yeah you know you'll be able to grab it um i think it's dropping in cinemas and it's available on vod so uh yeah there you go people dying to sleep Okay, now we have the second of our Netflix joints, right? It is The Deepest Breath. Yo, so this one I was very curious about, right? The Deepest Breath, a new documentary you know, directed and uh, written by Laura McGann. Um, the film is produced by James D. Alton, John Batsek, um, Anne McLaughlin, and Sarah Thompson. Executive produced by Emily Osborne, Bart Layton, um, Ben Kotner and Adriana Banta. We've got it co-produced by Robert Ford and co-executive produced by Marissa Torres Erickson. Um, Nanita Desi did the music. Tim Cragg 
Cinematography, Julian Hart edited the piece. Production management is Alessandro Sazenza. And the film follows Alessia Zacchini and Stephen Keenan. Okay, so the gist is this. Descending to remarkable depths below the sea on one single breath, Alessia Zucchini enters what she describes as the last quiet place on earth. The Italian champion is determined to set a new world record in freediving, a dangerous extreme sport in which competitors attempt to reach the greatest depth without the use of scuba gear. Freedivers are often subject to blackouts upon ascent, necessitating the help of safety divers like Stephen Keenan, a free-spirited Irish adventurer who fell in love with the sport in Daha, Egypt. Having formed a special bond on the freediving circuit, Alessia and Stephen trained together to make an attempt on Daha's legendary blue hole and its challenging 85-foot-long tunnel, 184 feet below the Red Sea. Their fates inextricably bond together. So, I mean, freediving, it's like... um, like solo mountain climbing. I mean, like, without the rope. Right, I forget what you call that now, but it, it it's like that to me. You know what I mean? Like skiing, like those crazy hills. Just all of these things are very fucking similar because they're ridiculous. It's ridiculous, right? And and you wonder who are the people that do these, right? You can listen to Alex Connell talk. He's mad logical, you know what I mean, doesn't seem crazy, but you're just like, yo, why you do this, man, what's going on, so I think one, something like this is always very fascinating, right, it's all very fascinating, because you wonder what drives someone, right, why do this stuff, now, I feel it's clearly white people shit, (laughs) because Yo, I don't think I saw one motherfucking brother <laughs> doing that shit, right? Maybe there are, I don't know. But, boy, because the way they're both, talk, like, Stephen, he's traveling around the world. Not doesn't seem to be worrying about a job or money or anything like that, right? Not having qualifications to fall back on, you know, oh, if I'm traveling for so long, how do I get a job when I come back? Not having to worry about that kind of shit, right? And Alessia, she's just diving all the time. And, you know, no point her parents like, yeah, you know, we we were trying to get her to get a job or we were trying to, you know, there's no mention of sponsorship or anything like that. There's a lot of times, you know, in the surfing documentaries, they always talk about, uh, you know, sponsorship and trying to get that and, you know, winning the competitions that gives you money and, you know, that kind of thing. Even in the the rock climbing stuff, right, 
in 38 Peaks, Nim was try fundraising, trying to get the money to do all the, you know, do all the, the, the things. But in this, no, no thought of money. No thought. I'm just like, yo, <laughs> what's that like, right? But, you know, you can see that they both had passions for this diving stuff. I thought it was insane because they're blacking out so fucking often. So fucking often, right? And there's a bit where they talk about, um, what was it, lung hug? Lung hug? Something like that, right? And it's just like, yeah, because your lung's contracting and so it's bleeding, you know, it's bleeding into, you know, your esophagus. Like, not good, which creates scar tissue, which then makes it worse the next time and the next time and the next. So they talk about this. Talk about the blackouts. But there's never, oh, yes, yeah, so the divers are meant to get regular scans, right? We're checking, because that's definitely fucking your lungs up. It's definitely fucking your lungs up, right? Which then, obviously, you know, when we hear about this thing later on in the doc, you're just like, yeah, because when you get older, your lungs aren't as good, right? So it wasn't surprising, you know what I mean? But when you think about combat sports, right, UFC, if someone is knocked out, TKO'd, taken a lot of damage in a fight, they cannot train for a period of time you know what I mean? They're given a suspension, right? So it might be, sometimes it might be two weeks. It might be a month, might be even longer. Sometimes it can be six months. You know, that's what happens, right? And if you've blacked out in your training camp, you've been knocked out in your training, you can't fight, right? So it's so insane to be like, oh, yeah, they blacked out on the first day, so they'll try again tomorrow. You're just like, yo, what? What the fuck are we doing? This is insane, right? It is the craziest thing. And I thought um, Laura did a very good job of capturing all of this, you know, telling the story. I mean, from the beginning, you know what's happening. Right, you you know where this goes, and it's never a good place. It's never a good place, people. You feel me? Like this isn't something that you show, uh, you know, a kid who's thinking, I might try this. Like, yo, I mean, well, actually, you should show, but you'd be like, yo. This is a shit that could go wrong. Right? There's this. It baffled me because, you know, the rope, they're using white rope, right? You're just thinking there's so many things you could do to make shit more visible, right? 
which is, you know, it's, they're using a sonar to kind of track people underwater. What about GPS systems or something? Something, right? There must be better ways of following people. Like, we use drones. Is there not an underwater drone? You know what I mean? It, 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 it's crazy. It's crazy. Also, they're using the rope. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're using the rope to pull themselves down to a certain extent, right? Definitely up, which feels a bit of a cheat. The rope, the nose plugs, that feels like a bit of a cheat. You know what I mean? I'm like, yo, <laughs> that's kind of like using steroids <laughs> when you're fighting, I think. But, you know, it is what it is. You know, it's... We know that Stephen and Alessia formed this attachment. But we, I think the one thing that is a bit unclear is how much time, right? Because they would... Obviously, they would meet on the circuit because Stephen's a safety diver. But how much time did they actually spend together? Right, that that's the unclear part of this. Yeah, I I hated the music. Right, you know, during the sad scenes, like the music's playing, and it's just like, you know what? I don't think anyone needs, you know, music to feel kind of depressed at this moment, yo. Like, we don't need it. Like, it's jarring. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. You know, there is subtitles. Um, Yeah. Luckily, they didn't talk very fast. Right? So, that made it a bit easier. And it wasn't all the way through. So that was a relief. But yeah, subtitles are always a pain in the ass, man. Always a pain in the ass. But yeah, this is it's fascinating. Because I just remember watching... Um, oh, fuck. What was the... Uh, what was that other friggin' documentary called? Oh my days. There was one about um there's another diving one. Uh hold your breath, the ice dive, right? That dropped um I think towards the end of last year. And that was another crazy one, right? People doing this shit and the the, the injuries and just the <sighs> boy. So I think if you enjoyed that one, you'll enjoy this. Like, I wish we knew a bit more about the training they had to do. Because obviously, like, you're practicing diving, but is there anything else? Right? Yoga, like, um, I don't know, cold plunges. Like, what other kind of things are people doing? Is there a certain diet? Like, that kind of thing, I was I was very curious to see if they spoke about. And we didn't really get that. There is, like, there's a picture that gets shown towards the end. And there's certain things said about that picture. I was like, 
can we really tell that from the picture? And that's not, listen, I ain't trying to say anything bad or anything like that. But I'm just saying, from the picture shown, I, I'm, I'm like curious because it wasn't explained. Because maybe I'm missing something. But I ain't know if it really showed the things that they are saying it showed, you know. And there's a lot of these assumptions that were made. And again, I don't know if that's something you can really say. Look, as I said, look, this is a sad outcome. It's a sad outcome, you know. But, yo... When you do dangerous things, like, everyone involved must realise that y'all can die. Shit can get crazy. You know what I mean? It's it, it, like the family, the friend. Like, you can't be like, oh, I'm shocked. Because, you know, at the beginning, we learn about... That motherfucking um, tunnel in Daha, right? We we are told about the blue hole. Yeah, yeah, it's sketch. It's proper fucking sketchy. You know what I mean? So it's just like we we can't be shocked about this. You know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah, it's an interesting piece. Definitely an interesting piece. I thought, yeah, Laura McGann did a very good job. There's definitely stuff that I think I would have liked to have known. Just to kind of add clarity. For for someone that doesn't do the sport. You know, I know what free diving is. Right? But there's, as I said, like the training, the prep. That like a little bit more on that. Right, like, kind of, if we had got a comparison on the blue hole, you know what I mean? Because it's just like, okay, so how how far is the arch? You know what I mean? What's the distance? What are we talking here? Right, if we had done, like, you know, I would have done some, like, walk along a football pitch and be like, yo, this is the equivalent equivalent distance which you would have to go through to clear the art like something like that would give you know a lay person a bit more insight into what this is because when they're talking about the straight dive right there's one that they were like oh that's the equivalent of the statue of liberty and they're like oh shit okay okay so some other reference points would have been good. But yeah, it's interesting as fuck, people. You know what I mean? So yeah, if you like the ice dive documentary, if you like surfing documentaries, you know, you know the rock climbing stuff, then I think the deepest breath will connect with you. It's on Netflix, people. I mean, yeah. Take this as a fucking life lesson. And understand, if you do crazy shit, shit ain't going to be for a long time. You understand? But, hey, do what you love, I guess. Do what you love, motherfuckers. The deepest 
breath. Okay, so now it's time for our last joint. We have another documentary, and it's a Shudder AMC Networks production. It's Shark Ploitation. Okay, people. So this was an interesting one, right? Just because an email got fired off just yesterday. You know, Shudder has got this new documentary coming, and it's called Sharksploitation. Okay, it is written and directed by Stephen Scarlatta, right? It is produced by um, Scarlatta, uh, Kerry Dejnan Roy, and Josh Miller, right? Um, it features interviews with Roger Corman. Um, we've also got uh, Kyle Gutileb, right? Uh, Johannes Roberts, uh, Mario Van Peebles, um, Wendy Benchley, right? Uh, Peter Benchley. Uh, we've got also got kind of archival footage, right? So they're involved along with, uh, let's see if we can, the IMBD of this is terrible, right? There's, you know, just so many people just, well, there's no one listed. Uh, we've got Joe Dante, Tom Chap, Chapin, Glenn Campbell, Christian Boog, Jim Bertages, right? Paul Bales, um, Joe Alvarez, Mark Atkins, um, Scott Devine, Anthony C. Ferrante. Michael Jingold, uh, Chris Kentis, A. Peter Kimley, David Michael Latt, uh, who else? Do, do, do. Michael P. Mercer, Rebecca McKendry, Vanessa Morgan, James Nunn. Mark Pulonia, Christopher Ray, Adam Rifkin, David Rimawa, Johannes Roberts, Rob Schaub, David Schiffman, Matty Simmons, Misty Talley, Vicky Yasquez. Um, yeah, just to name a few. Right, there's a lot of different kind of interviews and um, that kind of thing, right? So the gist of this whole thing, right? In the wake of blockbuster classic Jaws, a new sub-genre was born. 
This new documentary explores the weird, wide cinematic legacy of sharks on film and the world's undying fascination with them. So, yeah, it's this is very interesting, right? I, I thought it was a, a well-done documentary. You know, they talk to so many different people and, you know, look at so many things, you know, uh, uh, like, because I think you remember the way everyone used to talk about Jaws and then the subsequent sequels that came out, you know, because obviously I was not alive when Jaws hit the cinema. But the the reverence it got, right? The way people would talk about this film, you know, he's like, oh, did you see Jaws? You know, and I remember when I went to the cinema and saw Jaws. It was one of those ones like Star Wars. The way people would be like, oh, I was in the queue. I queued up for this many hours. I remember the first time you sat there and you saw the, the scroll, right? People would be like, oh, when you first saw the fin and you, oh, and it was crazy. And so all of that, right? But then you got the following films, you know? Um, you have, like, then... In, in recent years, the sci-fi channel films, right? Sharknado, Shark Octopus, right? Just all of those ones. You have the films like The Meg, you know, Deep Blue Sea, right? Stuff like that. So there's been so many, right? And then the more indie things like 47 Meters Down, The Reef 2, the Reef One, you know, I mean, just there's been a lot, right? A lot from Shudder, you know, as well. And we definitely covered a few shark films <laughs> on the podcast, right? So it's looking at all of those things, like the ramifications, the things that came from Jaws, that, you know, people went out hunting sharks killing sharks right so decimating the population of sharks certain sharks right so you have all of this and you know people talking about their reaction to these films and stuff like that now some of it I'm a bit like, yo, come on, people, right? Some people are doing, yeah, well, I remember when I first saw Jaws and, you know, you just had a, you were scared in the cinema thinking that a, a shark was going to come and eat and be like, shut up, shut up, <laughs> right? If you thought a shark was going to be in a cinema and eat you, I think, you might have taken on one too many happy pills, my friend. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that, there's biscuits and then there's that. But you're taking them all, right? You're taking them all. <laughs> oh, man. There's a fun thing about, you know, these kind of documentaries sometimes. Like, just some of the things people come out with. It is crazy but there is that big thing you know of how some of these low 
budget films were able to capture the imagination, right? And we, I think everyone knows the, you know, some of the history of Jaws, right? The fact that they didn't have a huge budget, right? Visual effects and special effects were completely different back then. So they had to build a life-size shark, but there wasn't quite the money there and it didn't always work, right? Which then limited how much screen time the shark got, which in the end made the film a far better film, right? Because it was the suspense of it all. You know, it's like an alien because you didn't really see the alien a lot. Right. And Predator, you didn't really see the Predator a lot. So it's like when you don't see the creature, the monster, that builds that level of suspense. You know, so they, and, and I think that's been talked about a lot. But, you know, that gets mentioned, obviously. And, you know, we, we heard about the making of 47 meters down, which, uh, yeah, sounds kind of brutal. Sounds kind of brutal. Then it's just all the, the the films that came after that, right? The knockoffs, the ripoffs, you know, the, the people paying homage. The fact that in the making of some films, people died, sharks were killed, which are just like, yo, if that happened now, shit, studios would be getting sued and fined and just all manner of things. Now, one thing I will say, right, because they're talking about all of this and, you know, the fact that this was created a fear in people, right, they created a fear in people, but back in the day, People weren't as scared of sharks, right? That there were these myths and legends and folklore where sharks were revered. You know, what changed? What changed? Why did we look at sharks as gods and then suddenly we're scared of sharks? And I'm a bit like, yo. <laughs> Because when you talk about the places that revered sharks and, you know, I mean, Hawaii, like coastal cities in like Africa and, you know, just in the States and other places. I think it's pretty fucking obvious, right? I think it's fucking obvious why people revered sharks and created these legends. Because when you are dependent on the water, right, when fishing and, and things like that are your major economy, you don't want people scared of the fucking water, right, so you create these legends, you're like, oh, we love sharks, sharks are helpful, sharks don't want to eat you, no, sharks are God, right, because if everyone's scared, they're not fishing, and you're fucked, you're going to be broke, right? So you're creating these things, these myths, right? These stories. So people are like, oh, it's fine going in the water, right? We didn't have the internet. So it's not like when someone's gone missing, we're like, wait, did, 
Did Steve get eaten by a ship? No. No, Steve went to visit family. <laughs> Don't be silly. Steve's fine. Like he said, he'll be back in about a month or something, unless something comes up because he's waiting on a big job. And so he might just go to that. Who knows? Right? Be like, oh, okay, I'll go out fishing today then. Right? That's what you're doing. And we're scared of sharks, right? Because, you know, at the time, surfing blew up, right? So then people were surfing. Sharks see surfboards, they think it's seals, right? Or other things they want to eat. So then they started coming up and attacking and eating and, you know. But it's like people getting eaten and the way news started to travel, right? It, it became a, a more known thing. Right, then you get the internet, and it's even more so. You know what I mean? But it <laughs> it reminds me of a joke by Ian Edwards. And if you don't know who Ian Edwards is, people, shame on you, motherfucker is hilarious. Right now, he's like, <laughs> well, is along the lines of. Why the fuck are we calling this these things shark attacks? Right? It's not a shark attack. <laughs> because we're in their home. It's a we've just done a home invasion. You know what I mean? That's why motherfuckers be scared of sharks. Because we're fucking around in their yard. You know what I mean? We're trespassing. And so I was like, wait. Who the fuck is that? Get my gun, motherfucker. You know what I mean? It's hunting season. Let's go. Right? If, if, if you're playing on land, a shark ain't going to eat you. Well, unless it's Sharknado, Sharkopolis. You know I mean? One of those ones. Right? But typically, a shark ain't coming on land. Right, so the only time a shark is gonna fuck with you if you're in the water, right? You do stupid things, right? Like the people that went in the sub to go look at the Titanic. That's only happening if you're getting in an ill-equipped and made sub to go look at the Titanic. You're not going to die if you're just watching a James Cameron documentary about the Titanic. You know what I mean, people, right? So it's just like the fear is because people are being even more reckless, right? They're fucking around in the water, right? How many times have we heard stories of the, like the notice coming up and people being told okay there's sightings in the water don't go in the water or just you know there's flags there's red flags showing do not go in the water but you've got people going yeah it's fine going in the water and getting eaten getting attacked yo <laughs> you were warned motherfucker right that it's super it's always dangerous but right now it's even more so 
right? And they were like, oh, and people were scared of going in reservoirs and lakes. Now, people were scared of going in reservoirs and lakes because... People were buying exotic animals as pets. People were buying sharks. People were buying alligators, pythons, all of this kind of thing. And then getting bored, right? Or going, hold on, I didn't think that was going to grow. And then dumping those animals in lakes, in other bodies of water and things like that. So where... A lake used to be fine. Sometimes people would go swimming and then they're getting attacked, eaten, bit, killed, injured, maimed, all these things, right? So that's the worry, right? That's the worry. It's not <laughs> like the fear isn't irrational. Irrational? What's the opposite of irrational? Irrational, that's the word, irrational, yeah, it's not irrational, these are very, very logical fears and concerns, right, but the documentary is like, yeah, why are people scared, this is kind of crazy, <laughs> it is not, it is not, and all these people that want to go diving with sharks, yeah, right, let, let's revisit them five years, ten years' time. Are they still around? Have they got all their limbs still, right? That's the question. A lot of surfers are missing arms and legs because of shark attacks, right? People that do the swim across to Alcatraz and just obviously stupid things like that, they're getting attacked. They're getting bitten. So, you know, I, I, I was a little bit, yo, this documentary is jokes. The way it's trying to act like, you know what I mean? There's nothing to be scared of. <laughs> but as I say, listen, it is good. I did think it was well done. And you get an interesting insight, right? Just how Roger Corman kind of came up with ideas, how Asylum would just play games with names and go, yeah, let's make a movie on that, right? So if all of this is fascinating, you know, this is a good documentary to watch. You know something else they pointed out? Crocodiles is a, also a subgenre of the shark film, which I'm a bit like, really? Hmm. You know, I did think that was a little stretch. But they're like, anything that you might find in the water is kind of an offshoot of the shark genre. You know, kind of makes sense. A little bit of a stretch, maybe. But, you know, we've covered a lot of crocodile, alligator films as well. So, you know. Whatever, whatever, people. But yeah, this documentary, Shark Exploitation, it is obviously it's a Shudder original, so it's on Shudder, people. You know what I mean? So yeah, I would say if this genre of films, if you do like a shark, crocodile, um, mega monster, like the Meg type of thing, and they did talk about the Meg, right, people were saying the Meg is real, no, the Meg, the Megalodon, and other large sharks, 
did exist in prehistoric times, right? Not anymore. Because, and like, there's no chance of this, you know, being around still. Just because, right, like a dinosaur, they would have to consume so much to live, right? They're so big, right? When you just think about, like, bodybuilders, they have to eat so much for the energy. Same with a big fucking dinosaur and a big motherfucking shark, right? So, if there was one actually alive, there'd be so much carnage, right? You'd just be like, so many things eaten. and be, You would know, right? That kind of thing ain't hiding. It ain't hiding because it's got to eat, right? But let me talk about that. So, yeah, if they're your jam people, then, right? The 21st is the date the calendar. Go mark it down and check out Sharksploitation on Shudder. Well, film fans, there is something to look forward to because on the 20th of July to the 9th of August, Fantasia International Film Festival is back for its 27th. Yeah, that's right, people. It's 27th edition. Okay, that's whoo, that is a lot of films, right? Since its inception in 1996, the Fantasia International Film Festival is now recognized as the largest and most influential event of its kind in North America, a leader on the genre film scene and one of the country's most popular film festivals with a varied programming and an emphasis on the imaginative cinema of Asia, Europe, and the Americas, Fantasia's offerings range from unique and powerful personal visions to international commercial crowd pleasers rarely seen in North America. I mean, right, that, if you haven't been people, right, located in the heart of beautiful Montreal, Fantasia is a cultural and professional Professional destination point, and since its first edition, the festival's ever-growing popularity has attracted the attention of the international film industry, alongside a legion of attendees from across the world. Every facet of filmmaking chain is increasingly represented, with in-person delegates at the festival, directors, actors, producers, studio representatives, distributors, and festival programmers who get to experience the legendary, enthusiastic, taste-making audience of Fantasia. So, during this festival, there will be a myriad of different things happening, right? There's going to be a spotlight on Korean cinema, uh, Canadian Trailblazer Award, Larry Kent, the dark fantasy world of Jureja Hers, right? Um, 
cheval noir. We have camera lucidia, axis, fantasia underground. Um, there is fantasia retro. Sepentarian Shadows, Genres du Pass. There's also a short film program, which um, consists of a whole heap of different um, films, just a few. So there's Boss Babe from Cassie Gasco. Uh, 666 from Abby Falvo, right? 124 from Anne-Marie Bouchard. Uh, we have got 6mm Wave from Jean Sanhu. A Pass of from Raphael Jadosti, right? And then, people, we have the feature films. Okay, so there's Manhole from Kazahoshi Kumakiri. The Abandoned from Song Ying Ting. Apocalypse Cloud Clown from George Kane. We have As Long As We Both Shall Live from Ayuku Tasahara. Baby Assassins 2 will be there. Blackout from Larry Fessenden. Cadillac Clown from Robin Ubert. The Cassandra Cat from Vajetch Jasnev. Uh, the Child from Park Hoon Jun. Right, Devils from Kim Jae-hoon. There's a disturbance in the force from Jeremy Kuhn and Steve Kozak. Divinity from Eddie Alcazar. Eight Eyes from Austin Jennings. Empire V from Victoria Ginberg. Flaming Cloud from Lee Sui. Hundreds of Beavers from Mike Chelik. In My Mother's Skin from Kenneth Dagatan. Right, Killing Romance from Lee Wong Suk. Late Night with the Devil, the new one from Cameron Carnies and Colin Carnies. Right, Mad Cats from Raiki Tosuno. Mad Fate from Soi Chung. Marry My Dead Body from Chong Wei Hai. Right? Mayhem from Xavier Jens. Miss Shampoo from Gideon's Koo. Right? Molly and Max in the Future from Michael Look Lickwick. My Worst Neighbor from Lee Wu Chal. New Life from John Rosman. New Normal from Jong Bom Shik. The Night Owl from Ante Jin. Onyx, the Fortuitous 
and the Talisman of from Andrew Bozoir. Pandemonium from Kwazu. Uh, Perpetra from Jennifer Reader. Pet Kata Shaw from Nushash Homayon. Right, the prim, the primivals from David Allen. You have Raging Grace from Paris Zakelia. Right, Les Rascals from Jimmy Laparal Trezor. Restore Point from Robert Height. Ride On from Larry Yang. The Roundup, No Way Out from Li Shang Yong. Shin Kaimon Rider. From Hideki Amon. Skin Deep from Alex Shad. The Sparring Partner from Hoi Chek Tin. Suitable Flesh from Joe Lynch. Sympathy from the Devil from Yovol Adler. Right. Talk to Me from Danny Philippou and Michael Philippou. Taxi from Gerard Piers. Right, the White Storm, Heaven or Hell, from Herman Yeh. Tokyo Revengers 2, Part 1, and Tokyo Revengers Part 2, both from Tasumi Hanabaza. Right, Le Visiteur de Futur, from Francis Disquas. What You Wish For, from Nicholas Tumay. So, that's just a few of the films playing at this year's Fantasia International Film Festival, people. All the links for the programs, the shorts, the tickets, everything is on the website, so make sure you go check it out. Remember, it's happening from the 20th of July to the 9th of August, and we will be covering it, people. So, enjoy this Canadian International Film Festival, Fantasia. Yes, people, so we are coming to a close on another episode. But before we bounce, as we do, we're going to take a look on seeing what's happening in the world of film. There might be a strike, but there are a few things happening. Right, so we have got the Meg 2, which will be dropping in a few weeks' time. Right, it's a sequel to the 2018 Jason Statham blockbuster. This time, Ben Wheatley is taking over directing duties. And, um, yeah, it seems that he is very uh, hopeful for a third film. He said, you don't want to talk about it until Meg 2 is out, but I hope to see a third installment. There's a lot more to explore in that world. It's very rich. The internationalness of it is a very interesting. Now, the thing being, right, the Meg is based on a book series. There's a load of fucking books. So, obviously, 
there is more to, there's more right <laughs> such a fucking goofy thing to say yo <laughs> yo it's in other news right john um no james james yes james gun god damn it right uh when james gun and peter stefini took over dc Right, the, the word was it wasn't necessarily a hard reset, right? They were gonna keep some things, change some things, you know what I mean? Like they were changing Superman, they were going for a younger take on Superman, but then there was other roles that could still be there, you know. But it does seem that that has all changed, right? And I was talking to my boy Herb the other day, and um it's not a surprise, right? It is not a surprise. So yeah, Gunn, he um, recently said Superman Legacy, right, um, from that film onwards will be canon and will be connected. Everything from that moment will be connected and consistent, right? So um, yeah, everything else is now done, you know, which I don't, I'm not surprised, this is the thing, right, it, it, yeah, it's just not surprising, I think the biggest surprise so far is Nathan Fillon as a Guy Gardner, right, that's the biggest kind of crazy, but, you know, who, who knows, right? So he just said, DC Studios movies and canon start with Superman Legacy. That means that even with some actors returning to roles, the events of prior DC works don't count in the new continuity. You know, so, um, yeah, everything is changing. Right? He also said, the good news is if you've seen nothing that we've done before you can watch superman legacy you can watch creature commandos you can watch peacemaker season two and you can watch blue beetle all of that we are trying to minimize audience confusion and maximize their enjoyment so uh, yes not a surprise but we'll see what the fuck happens shall we you know what I mean? So, um, you know, there's the Living Dead films, right? Which, um, um, oh, God damn it. Who's that motherfucker? God damn George Romero. George Romero did Living Dead. Now, there's also another franchise, which I probably assumed was the same thing. The Return of the Living Dead, which I just thought that was a sequel somewhere because I've not watched those films right I, I, I don't watch a whole heap of horror unless someone's sending it to me and going can you look at this you know what I mean in my free time it's not the genre I jump to people so yeah there's shit that I don't know right I'm learning it's a horror comedy who knew right but it sounds like living dead media are um, bringing that franchise back to life, right? 
Um, Steve Walsh is on hand to direct this new project. 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 Can't speak. Right, they're saying that it's a reboot, not a remake. So, um, yeah, they're looking to expand the existing world. So we'll see what happens with that one. Um, you know, The Rock must be a happy motherfucker, right? Because although some of his recent films have been duds, Homie is still making that cheddar, you know? He's um hitting 50 milli for the red one. The red one? Is that the name of this motherfucker? Yeah, red one. It's an Amazon Christmas film, which it seems that they're they're hoping could become a tentpole franchise. Right? So um yeah, he is earning 15, which they're saying is the biggest paycheck of his career, which is like kind of surprising. And they're saying the biggest upfront salary for any actor, which again feels surprising. It feels kind of crazy. And there's all yo. There's some talk with the whole acting strike and stuff that some of these big motherfucking actors, you mean, share the spoils, right? So don't take those big paychecks on the front end, which then allows the other actors to earn a bit more money. But yeah, who knows what's going to happen. But yes, um, the red one. Right, it's uh, as I said, it's a Christmas whole comedy. We've got Chris Evans in it, JK Simmons, um, Jake Castan is gonna direct it. They know each other very well from uh, John Manji. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. Now, I think we knew this, but we're getting a gargoyle film. Right, and if you don't know gargoyles, people, your childhood must have been whack, right? It was a great little cartoon that ran in the 90s, early 90s. Um, it's on Disney Plus if you've got that, but yeah, Kenneth Branagh is going to be directing the film version, which I'm kind of curious, you know what I mean? I'm kind of curious. We'll see what happens. Now, I was surprised at this. Not overly disappointed. Just surprised. Right? Because there was the live-action He-Man film set up at uh, Netflix. Right? Now, that is dead. Dead in the water. And the surprising thing is, because Barbie is just about to drop... It's making bank on pre-sales, right? Everyone's talking about it. And it's definitely spurred Mattel to be like, we're going to turn all our shit into films. So you'd think that Netflix would have kept hold of it in the hopes that it rides that bandwagon. You know what I mean? But I think the big problem is... 
the budget of the film sounds like it was ballooning like a motherfucker, right? And so you know if they're saying 200 milli, it's going to be more. And then you throw on, you know, the, the marketing budget and everything like that. It makes it an expensive motherfucking joint, right? So, um, yeah, on that regard, it's not shocking. It's not shocking. But we will see what happens. So even though there is this big strike on, Indie films seem to be able to do their thing, right? Now, I don't, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me because I think it's like if the director isn't established, you know what I mean? I think it's something like that. If the director isn't um, affiliated with AMP, AMPTP, then the joint can go, right? Because there's a couple of A24 joints here, and A24, it's an art, you know, it's looked at as an art house studio, but it's big, it's not small, right? So I am confused, but you know, we will be getting some of the titles we're getting. Um, is a film, as I say, the two A24 films we got Mother Mary, and which will star Anne Hathaway, and Death of a Unicorn, look, a unicorn which stars Paul Rudd and Jenna Ortega, right? There's also films coming, Rivals of Amaza King, which stars Matthew McConaughey, Dust Bunny, which stars Sigourney Weaver and Mads Mikkelsen, Rebel Wilson's got Bride Hard, right? Then you've got films such as Aquidilia, Anniversary, on Arnadilia, Beneath the Grass, Beyond Belief, Fact or Fiction, Beyond the Walls, Bob Trevino Likes It, The Caffoon, A Desert, A Desert, A Desert, I get those mixed up, people, um, Dream Devil, Exhibiting Forgiveness, F+, Flight Risk, right? Ganny Mead, The Greatest Ever, Ick, Just Breathe, King Ivory, Morning Rock, Osiris, Paradise and Lunch, Queen of the Ring, The Ritual, Sellout, The Short Game, Sod and Stubble, The Sound, The Killer's Game, The Tower, Trans Ma Trans Amazonia Weekend Escape Project Weekend Escape and The Yellow Tie. So all of those films can go into production when they're ready, which is yeah, it's interesting. Which kind of then means that possibly other films will now. <clears throat> 
what I would do if I was a streamer, right, or just anyone else, I'd let those films be made, and then I'd go hit them up and be like, yo, I will give you this big chunk of change to buy your film, right, which then means Apple, Disney+, Plus, Amazon, Netflix, they'd still have films coming, right? That's what I feel they would do, but who knows? It's all baffling, people. I ain't going to lie. But I'm going to end on this one. Disney Plus had, well, Disney had their Haunted Mansion premiere. And I dig this, right? Because, you know, stars aren't allowed to do promotion and all of that jazz. So what did Disney go do? They rolled out their characters, Right, so they had all the villains and the heroes walk the red carpet, turned it into an interactive uh, experience for fans, which, that's fire. Do more of that shit, you know what I mean? Because, listen, the stars, the award shows, you know what I mean? They get to do that shit. Like, there's so many of these premieres as well, right? It's not just one premiere. Then they go and do it in Tokyo, and they do it in London and New York, and just all over the shop. So it's just like, have one big one, right? And then turn the others into events for fans. Boom! You know what I mean? I think that's lit. So anyway, people, we are done. But our short, our, our coverage of the Fantasia Film Festival will be starting in the next few days. So keep an eye out for that. Share with your peoples. Let us know what you think. Leave comments, all of that. Meh, 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 meh. Right? And uh, we will see you again, same time next week. Same time, same day. It will be a different time. You know what I mean? But um, we'll see you next week, people. Enjoy your film watching. Peace.